So uh, thanks everybody for coming in. So this is the A16Z infrastructure show. This is actually the very first one um, where we're going to be talking about infrastructure companies, investing in them, building them products. It just turns out that we're three GPs at A16Z and we all have <laughs> a lot of experience in infra. Like all of our companies were infrastructure companies. We do a lot of infra investing. Um, so the way that we're going to structure this uh, this session is, you know, first we're going to introduce, you know, our backgrounds and context of that. Many of you know us, many of you have worked with us, um, but we do kind of want to give you a sense um, of kind of, you know, our relationship with infrastructure and how we went through it. So we'll, we'll kind of each go through our own kind of bios that way and I'll, I'll orchestrate that. Um, th then we're going to talk about kind of why infrastructure is different. Like this isn't B2B, this isn't enterprise, this isn't vertical SaaS, it's, it's specifically infrastructure. And it's, it's my, it's my, uh, it's my favorite, my favorite topic and my favorite area. So we'll go through that. Um, we got a lot of great questions on Twitter. And so we're going to try and get through those. Um, and then if we still have time, then we'll open up to questions, um, uh, for everybody else. So that's kind of rough. You know, we plan to have this every two weeks and we want to cover everything as things go. We want to cover category creation and we want to cover open source and we want to cover the shifts in go to market and, um, you know, the cloud and investing and everything else. And so, you know, hope that we'll have regular attendees and we're very excited to get started. Um, and let me see, I think there, there's a little preamble I wanted to say. Uh, okay, so if, if we get to the point where there is Q&A and we do call on you, I just want to let you know that the conversation is being recorded. So it's for, you know, all of those that are um, going to want to listen to this that, that couldn't do it or listen to it again. But if you're coming to chat, ask questions, uh, you are consenting to us using your words and images in recorded related to this event. So... With that, we'll go ahead and get started. So we're going to go ahead and start with our intros. And just uh, very quickly, um, so for those of you who don't know, so I'm Martin. Uh, I'm a GP at Andreessen Horowitz. And I actually want to start by introducing Ben, actually having him introduce himself. But I want to let you know how I met Ben. So I was doing my PhD at Stanford in the networking space. And we spun out and we started a company called Nasira. This is in the software-defining networking space. And we started it right before like the the great recession you know the nuclear winter had set in and we were kind of struggling and you know one of our investors who was also on our board was andy ratcliffe who was actually a professor at stanford at the time but he's this super famous investor from benchmark and we were at the we were kind of at the the bottom of the recession and we're like you know, we had a professor as a CEO, we needed a new CEO, and we were talking with Andy Radcliffe, and we're like, who would be the best person on earth? He's like, well, there's this guy that just sold a company to HP, and his name is Ben, and I'd never heard of him at the time. And, um, and uh, you know, we should talk to him. So this, I think this is in 2008. So I got introduced to Ben, and he came in. Of course, Ben's like, you know, so insightful, and he'd just done it. Like, he just built a company, the same thing. And so, uh, so I asked Ben if he would be our CEO. Actually, Ben, do you remember what you said in response to that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, but I know I said no. <laughs> you, said, you said, I'm too rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, to be CEO of a company like this, you got to be piped in. And so instead, however, Ben and Mark invested, um, you know, Ben ended up joining the board. Um, and so much of what I've learned has been with Ben. And so I thought it'd be great if Ben, you know, most of you know him, but it'd be great if he just gave you a quick rundown of kind of his background with respect to infrastructure, then we'll move on to David. So Ben, if you wouldn't mind. 
Yeah, sure. Um, and that, that, that did bring back. Some <laughs> yeah, a man's got to know his limitations. That was, you know, if you know how hard a job is, like if you're going to give somebody a really, really, really hard, nearly impossible job, it's it really helps if they're not rich. I have to say, you know, that's a good hiring tip as well. Um, <laughs> at some point, rich people are just like, this is too hard. I'm going to the beach. Things things we learn multiple times, I think, in uh, in our careers. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, so yeah, so uh, you know, kind of my career. Actually, my probably my career in infrastructure started way back when I was uh, an engineer at Silicon Graphics, and kind of the first uh, I was working on. We were we were we had to put we had an operating system called Irix, which was Unix based, and we were the first we had built the kind of the the original multiprocessor machines, and so there was this task of having to. Uh, put semaphores on all the uh, kernel processes and so forth so that they wouldn't um, collide and you wouldn't have all these weird race conditions, which was, uh, you know, I, I would say, probably the most complicated engineering job I ever had. But eventually, um, you know, then I eventually kind of went to a company called Netscape where I was in charge of kind of the, the web servers and then we needed a directory kind of project. And so we, uh, that's where we uh, got the idea to pop, popularize LDAP and kind of make that the directory standard. Um, and that was kind of like my big infrastructure thing there. And then Mark and I founded a company called LoudCloud, which was one of the first, or the original kind of cloud computing companies started much too early ironically because there wasn't enough infrastructure like principally there was no virtualization for example uh, and so you couldn't really do cloud computing in that way with the tools that we had uh, so we transformed that company into a company called Opsware and that's the one that I sold to HP which made me too uh, too rich to take Martin's job. <laughs> And since joining Andreessen, you've done a lot of infra um, investing, actually. And yeah, so if you're comfortable, it'd be great to just kind of go through that a bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, made a bunch of infrastructure investments. Uh, the first actually investment I made is in a company called Okta, which um, was very familiar to me from my directory days. And, um, you know, more recently, uh, I've invested in a company called Databricks um, and then you know, most recently one called AnyScale. Uh, and, uh, you know, Databricks is infrastructure for AI uh, and um, kind of big data. And AnyScale is um, kind of a new way to, you know, how do you get the kind of processing power that you need, you know, at the growth rate that you need um, now that Moore's Law is definitely not going fast enough to support the hunger of AI. And, um, you know, it can turn... <laughs> Uh, it can basically uh, make uh, the cloud look like your laptop and make it very easy to program in parallel. Awesome. All right, cool. So, um, so I was one of Ben's investments. He joined. My, we were definitely in for a joint. Oh my yes, and I Sierra Networks. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> there was another one. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, you know, we, we, um, you know, so, so, so very honestly, I learned so much of, of what I know by having been on my board. Um, you know, we ended up selling the company to VMware where I ran that business. And when I left, it was about a $600 million business and end to end, that was about an 11 year journey. And then I joined Andreessen Horowitz where I also focus on core infrastructure. And as part of that, I'd always heard of Dave Yulovich, um, but I met him and I don't know if you ever have these moments where you like, I don't know, you meet someone new and it's like talking to like a long lost brother, but like, I feel like he's like lived this parallel life to me <laughs> as far as the company he's built and what he's done. And so super happy he was able to join as well. And like, do you, if you're cool with it, it'd be great to kind of get your personal journey through infra just to set the stage before we actually dive in. Sure. Sure. Um, and this is great. This is a, a favorite topic. Um, so I, I was one of those people, probably uh, like you, Martin, who who fell into infrastructure early in sort of my computing career. And I had an internship at a mom and pop ISP in San Diego um, because I had demanded to our family that we get real internet, not like AOL or, or Prodigy, much to the dismay, I think, of, of my sister, because um, all her friends were all of her friends were on like AOL, but I wanted I wanted the real internet. So we got that. And then uh, I was able to get an internship in, in eighth grade at this company and learned all about this. This is a company that's run on SunOS and later on uh, Solaris, which are just slightly marginally better than IRIX that Ben was talking about, um, but only only marginally. And uh, so I learned all about routing and networking and Unix and uh, started my career as a as a mediocre programmer there. Um, it was great to to understand how peering worked and how the internet worked, and I really at that point sort of fell in love with the internet and how it crossed borders and how, you know, you sort of had this asymmetric opportunity to either write code or do something that could reach a whole bunch of people. Um, and then there, there was sort of one technology in particular that I fell in love with, which was the DNS uh, or the domain name system. And I started buying domain names. I would, uh, I eventually went off to, uh, to college and built a domain name management sort of service because I started to own a bunch of domain names and all these other, uh, tech people started to use my free service, and we had like the founder of Rackspace using my service. We had distinguished engineers at Sun and chief scientists at Microsoft. And at that point, we became big enough that we had to build a network. And so I started to learn about things like Anycast networking and how the internet really started to come together from a commercial standpoint. And we got Rackspace at data centers, things you don't have to do anymore because we have AWS and GCP and Azure. Um, but we started to build out a global network. We got IP addresses uh, allocated to us. And I really had an incredible experience learning how to scale up an infrastructure. Um, and that eventually paved the way to building a company called OpenDNS, which was a cybersecurity company that started out as a consumer company to give people a faster and safer and better internet experience. Um, many, many millions of people wanted that. None of those people wanted to pay for it. They'd rather go buy a cup of Starbucks once a month instead of paying me <laughs> three or four bucks a month for totally. better internet and totally. safer internet. Um, but it turned out a lot of businesses were using our our product. And the timing, this was, this was uh, we started the company at the end of 2005. And so by the 2007, 2008, you know, the iPhone was out. People were bringing all kinds of wireless devices into the office, um, devices you couldn't install traditional endpoint security onto. And so a lot of IT administrators were using OpenDNS to provide better protection as a network service without having to install endpoint software because we were sort of delivering all of our security as a service using the DNS. Um, and that was sort of a novel, a novel innovation that we had, we had come up with. And so all these businesses were using it. None of them were paying us and we needed to make money. 
And so in 2009, we went through a major transition to becoming an enterprise cybersecurity company and starting with all those millions of free users, eventually figuring out which, which ones are businesses. And we'll talk about some of that today, but uh, started to build out that sort of enterprise go to market and built what ended up becoming a, a decent sized enterprise uh, cybersecurity company. We sold it to Cisco. And like you said, we were, you and I have a, a very mirrored career path in, in some ways. I went on to run the security business at Cisco, uh, which was uh, a great experience working with really great people. We had about 240,000 customers. It was really an exciting opportunity to both operate and lead at scale. We did a bunch of acquisitions and uh, I was very happy after three and a half years at Cisco to uh, to get a call from uh, someone, that, people that know Andreessen Horowitz well, know Jeff Stump, who's on our team here, uh, and talked to him and Ben and you and a whole bunch of folks. And they've been here ever since now, it's two and a half years. And I invest in enterprise software, but a little bit of a little bit of the infrastructure stuff. Um, I think the one investment that we've announced in this space is uh, is Census, which sort of operates at the at the data layer. We can maybe we'll talk about that later. That's right. Awesome. Cool. All right. Let's get this. Uh, let's get this rolling. So I think maybe for starters, especially since we've got a very varied audience, it's probably good to like cover like what infrastructure actually is. <laughs> um, so what do we mean by infra? Why is it exciting? Why does it make sense to actually have like a separate like talk around infra? So infra traditionally has meant the stuff that apps are built on, right? And so it, you know, traditionally has been compute network storage. These days it's everything from dev tools to security to APIs. But think about it is the underlying layers um, that we use to, to build modern compute apps. And you know, it, it, it actually is quite different. Like companies in infra are, are tend to be quite different than other and that, you know, it's, they tend to be like quite technical. They tend to be horizontal. Um, they, uh, they tend to have, you know, complex insertions. Um, they tend to be the product of, you know, real technical work. They tend to be a little disconnected from business users. And so if you look at an infrastructure company, they often look quite, quite different than, you know, a, a typical app uh, company. Um, but they've really had a moment in the last couple of years. I mean, if you heard names like Okta and Snowflake and GitHub and Databricks and Duo and Musoft and Datadog, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all core infrastructure companies. Um, and so I think, you know, actually, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, um, Ben and David, which is, you know, it's always been kind of these underlying, you know, the underlying technology, but you always have to wonder is like, is the day of infra ever over? Like, do you, like, are you ever done like building like the concrete and like the rebar and whatever, and it's just about apps? Or is it going to continue to be a growth area? Because I mean, this year and last year just been phenomenal for infra. Um, and if you have any opinions on that, I mean, it would be fun to talk through. Well, I think we're very far away <laughs> from uh, infrastructure being over and it being done. And, and what happens is kind of the needs of the applications change um, and then the infrastructure has to change. So, you know, the kind of, you know, one of the first big shifts in our careers uh, in infrastructure was the shift to cloud computing, which completely changed the requirement. I mean, as you know, I mean, one of the uh, brilliant things about uh, Nasera networks is that networking got completely, you, you know, just got devastated in terms of all of its architectural flaws once you move into the cloud environment. And, you know, we used to talk about, okay, east-west traffic versus north-south traffic and, 
you know, what Cisco could do and, you know, what it could and so forth. And then, but that happened at every layer in the stack. Storage was broken. The operating systems were broken. Um, every kind of piece of infrastructure wasn't built for that kind of an architecture. And so it had to be completely rebuilt. And, you know, and then as, you know, things have scaled, then things have to be upgraded, you know, on, on the other side, you know, as we move from kind of, you know, just procedural programs, so AI, and now we're, you know, the data is the program. There needs to be a whole tool chain to support that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people are going, oh, wow, like this NFT thing is an amazing craze. And it seems like it popped up overnight. But the, those of us who are infrastructure people know that this thing has been, you know, decentralized computing and, you know, trustless uh, state, you know, across uh, machines is something that's been worked on, you know, since 2009. And, um, and you know, the first kind of cut at NFTs with things like CryptoKitties blew up the infrastructure. <laughs> so the infrastructure needed to be revamped. Um, and so anytime there's a new important application need, I think, you know, it ends up causing an evolution of the infrastructure. And that evolution of the infrastructure is, you know, maybe the best thing to look at if you're trying to understand stand what's going to happen in the future because you know like i say you know a lot of people are like shocked and amazed by nfts and they just think it's some wackadoo thing but you know for those of us who have been like in infrastructure we're like oh yeah this is coming and uh, we're surprised it took this long and now that it's here we know exactly what it is so it's kind of a uh, you know a great way to fortune tell what's going to happen in apps world as well yeah you know it, um I, I always I always find it interesting to kind of walk through like the major trends that we track in infra, particularly with respect to this, because it just drags on so much behind it. You know, an early I think an early lesson that I learned, um, you know, building an infra company is it, it just seems like lower layers of the stack never go away, but there's always something that you build on top of them, and so it's almost like we're just gaining in complexity over time. Um, and so I want to talk through like a few of the trends that we track at A16Z, and then you know, and then David, you know, a, a, as I end up, it'd be great if if you know you want to add any of them, but it'll just give you kind of a sense of like, like the disruptive power of of infrastructure how big the markets are you know and and how it how it it opens up future potentials for say its companies or investments so i mean one of them this is going to sound like a cliche um uh but it, uh but it, I, there is a lot deep there and that is that is data and what do we mean by data um you know, data is just so central to how we build businesses, right? And like, again, like this is one of these cliches, which everybody's been saying it, we've been saying it for 20 years, but like we have these massive proof points recently of, you know, large companies, large startups, you know, Snowflake, Databricks, for example, um, that are centered around data, but then applications and, and all of infra is really to empower applications of using data for differentiation. In fact, actually, if you look at the application space, you're like, well, okay, like what differs like three different SaaS? Let's look at three different, like whatever, three different SaaS apps, say that they're um, consumer apps. And you're like, okay, well, to build one of those things, you know, yeah, you have to understand distributed systems, but we kind of know that. And like, yeah, you have to build a big cloud service. Yeah, we kind of know that. Like these things are hard things to do, um, but they're pretty well understood. But to actually do good personalization and actually do 
do good predictions, they actually use data in a way that's differentiated. That's almost where a lot of the battle has moved to. Um, and as a result, we're seeing this kind of explosion of companies and tooling around data. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to enable those that are building SaaS apps the ability to um, to do you know whatever on the business side they're wanting to do with kind of higher accuracy, whether this is like wait time prediction, whether this is personalization, whether this is pricing, whether this is fraud detection. And so from an investor standpoint, I mean, there's probably too many companies to track. And you always, it seems in infrastructure, you've got these kind of explosions and then these contractions, right? Like you see an explosion of API companies and then they kind of consolidate. We're seeing an explosion in data companies and they're going to consolidate. So if you look at data as... Um, as a market segment, it's growing about twice as fast. The CAGR is the rest of, of infrastructure. So it's a major area. It's a major area of focus and investment. And again, I did, you know, we've got dozens of companies that underlie it. So that's one trend that we're very focused on. Another trend that's quite interesting is, <laughs> you know, when, when David, Ben, and I got into the game, um, you know, decades ago, like software companies were actually software companies, like they shipped software. Like, you know, that's where I cut my teeth is like, you'd write code and you'd ship it. And, and you built companies around that. Like you built companies around like, you know, having releases and getting them out and being able to debug remotely and supporting, you know, complex HCLs, um, hardware compatibility lists and different environments. And like, that was really what the companies looked like. Um, these days, it's very tough actually to find hardware company or sorry, shipping software companies. Almost every company is becoming basically a SaaS company or an operations company. And it's just a very different type of company, right? The way that you write software, the way that you support the software. I mean, it all is becoming um, operations. And, and there's huge, huge impacts to, to infrastructure because rather than having something that I can give to somebody else that's easy to debug and run, the question is, how can I have high uptimes internally? Uh, and so, listen, we've seen massive increase um, in, you know, uh, or, or like changes in personnel, like for example, SREs now are very much in demand, like there's change in the programming style to do this, um, uh, change in development methodology, changing in the tool set and so forth. So this is also another kind of cross vertical area that's very in uh, interesting. Um, do you, do you maybe want to talk a little bit about kind of the prosumerization of infrastructure or bottom up, because that's an area that you focus on quite a bit? Yeah, actually, I was thinking, as I'm listening to you talk about these things, I was thinking that, you know, all of these trends you're talking about have these massive derivative sort of downstream effects, right? So when people talk about the massive amounts of data, that creates opportunities not just for the storage companies and the database companies, but then it creates new opportunities for the analytics companies. It creates a new surface area for security companies to focus on data privacy and data governance and all this regulatory controls around data. And, you know, that all of those standalone, all of those derivatives sort of are categories of their own. When you talk about how every company is becoming a SaaS company and, you know, we don't ship <clears throat> perpetual license software anymore. One of the things I think you and I have heard over and over again, especially when we talk to infrastructure companies, and I'm sure Ben sees this as well, is that all these companies are now dealing with major issues around billing and metering of their customers. And, you know, AWS may have a major metering solution for, for being able to do billing and metering, but all the SaaS companies building on top of these platforms have almost nothing, right? There's, there's sort of older tools um, around subscription billing, but not a lot around usage-based billing. Um, you know, I'm sure companies like Twilio have had to build their own. Then, you know, you mentioned the SREs and all this operational sophistication that companies need. That creates whole new opportunities around management tools, 
around you know cross cloud and you know private cloud sort of management tools that people need. And so like all, all these major trends end up coming up with all these derivative sort of categories that end up getting created that are brand new surface areas for new companies to be made. And many of them are, are just very, very large, even on their own. I guess that's what I was thinking about as yeah, you were yeah, as you yeah. were going through it. Yeah. I, I do think I do think it's worth worth it. Um and in and, and just a moment, we'll get more in kind of the, the weeds and kind of questions that are, I know, on, on many folks' minds, things like, you know, open source and, and so forth. But I do think it's worth kind of talking through, like, what makes infrastructure companies different, like how we look at yeah, the, I mean, on, on, on the on the bottom on the bottoms up point you were you were asking about. I mean, developers have way more power and control than they've ever had before in terms of the buying decisions of technology. Um, especially for technology companies. And that has changed, I think, the entire go-to-market for infrastructure companies. You're no longer a salesperson reaching out to a CIO to arrange a golf game to talk about why your database is better or why your data center is better. Like, all those days are gone. Now you're basically doing content marketing to get somebody excited about the technology that you've created. The developer is just going to download it. Maybe it's open source at at the, the heart of it, they're going to download it and play with it, or they're going to set up an account and start using it right away. They sort of have to have time to value that's measured in minutes or hours. <clears throat> and then eventually you're going to start tracking all the analytics and data of how people use it. And that then eventually feeds over to a salesperson who tries to go create a much larger opportunity. But that transformation has been, you know, I think, um, sort of, you know, a, a, ma- a major shift in how every infrastructure company has ever gone to market before compared to how they're going to market today. Um, and it's been a major, re, you know, reimagining of even the the stack and how sales teams and marketing teams come together in, inside of infrastructure companies. You, you know, you know, one thing that's super, I think, maybe unique to infrastructure, which is, um, you you almost have this weird barbell construction with the team, which is most infrastructure companies require a kind of a deep understanding of the market or technology, right? Like you had to understand DNS, Ben had to understand the cloud, I had to understand the networking, and so the the people that do it tend to be the, you know, tend to be, you know, technical founders very focused on that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, at the same time, there's like actually tends to be a much more difficult go to market as well. Right. Just because, you know, often you're selling something that's low level, that's relatively technical. Normally you're actually somewhat removed from like the business, you know, value. You're like, yes, you know, like in the case of software defined networking, you're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> makes things operationally more flexible or like whatever it is. I mean, it's a, it's very difficult to actually tie that to a revenue. And so I think one of the things that's tough about being a founder um, for an infrastructure and even an investor is you do need someone that, you know, both. Um, has to be very, very good at go-to-market um, and has to be very, very good at tech and product. Um, and, and, um, and, and we see this in a lot of the founders and then everybody up here. And I, I don't know, Ben, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but you kind of saw, you know, like my evolution. <laughs> so I just, I just, you know, I, I just look about how naive I was early on. I mean, I was just so tech focused and later I just had to learn to go to market and it took about 10 years and this and that. And I'm just wondering, like, do you have any thoughts about how you bridge that gap either as a founder or as a board? Or, I mean, how do you think through that? Because I think it is probably the broadest gap between technology and go-to-market in the industry? Oh, maybe. I'm not sure if I lost Ben. Is he still there? Uh, yeah, sorry. Oh. I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> it, it turns out it's hard to talk if you're on mute. Um, you yeah, know, that's a great lead-up. I would say 
you know, one, it varies a little. So it depends where in the infrastructure stack you are. So Nasera was, I, I would say, the worst case scenario in terms of go-to-market challenge because it was infrastructure that was basically at the bottom of the stack. So if something went wrong with Nicera, then you basically get fired as the customer. And that's that's always a tough place to start with a new company. You really have to be, you know, comprehensively good at, uh, you know, product marketing sales, you know, <laughs> lead generation story. Every Everything's gotta be exactly perfect to get that off um, these days. You know, just no matter how compelling your value proposition or how great your technology is, that that ends up being a thing. Um, but it is always, I, I would say, challenging because you are going, you know, you're the underpinning. And if your stuff doesn't work and if your company doesn't last and, you know, all the things that people have to trust about you have to be in place. And, oh, by the way, if you ever, God forbid, have some kind of breach, you just die right there. So, you know, a lot of the things that I look at or, you know, most of what I do with the infrastructure companies that I'm on the board on are kind of focused on and, you know, kind of helping the the founder CEO get the right kind of partners, I would say, on the kind of sales and marketing side uh, to do that product right. And I always kind of assume <laughs> that the founder doesn't quite know what they're doing. And like really one of my favorite stories on this was, you know, Octus got off to a very rough start because of this go-to-market problem. And what happened was, you know, they had come from salesforce.com and salesforce.com had a very kind of specific go-to-market idea, which worked for an app, which was, hey, we have one-tenth the features of Siebel, the on-premise product. So we're not going to go sell to those guys. We'll sell to guys they can't get to because it's too heavyweight. And so they started at the bottom of the market and they worked their way up. Um, so Okta tried that, but it turns out, you know, little companies don't care that much about their security infrastructure. So it's a terrible place to start. Um, and so just, you know, me, you know, a lot of the things we worked on is, okay, not only are we selling to the wrong customer, but because we're selling to the wrong customer, we have the wrong channel, we have the wrong pricing, <laughs> We have the wrong marketing, like everything is wrong, and we have to make that shift. And of course, you know, once they made the shift, they went from being a company that looked like it wasn't going to make it to a very successful company, just to kind of highlight how important, like, go to market ends up being usually what makes an infrastructure company succeed or fail. Yeah, it's it's just so. You, you you know you you would hope that this is like the challenge for those that have have spent you know whatever their schooling to learn business right so they understand all the challenges, but Infra is almost you know primarily product and tech founders right like like Dave Ulovich like ran DNS and it's kind of interesting when you see like I remember when I first you know met David I'm like listen this guy is like a head of sales right like all he thinks about is go to market or you talk with Ali or any of you know, any of these founders for these companies is just, you know, such a, a big focus. Um, and even like D David, I mean, to, to, just to pull you in really quickly, I remember like, you're like the last three years, I've been like a student of go to market, <laughs> like, how right, do, right. Do, you know, and, and now as you take board seats, for example, um, and you work with, you know, infrastructure founders, like, do you feel tempted to like drag them into go to market or focus on product or yeah, I think I look, I think there's different phases of the company journey. And I think, you know, that when I think about my own experience and then 
the companies that we work with and that we spend time with, pe people basically, you have like the technical founder hat, which is like, you need to have a technology that works. That's really, really good. It's differentiated. It's solving a real problem in a really, you know, sort of 10 X way to what the world looks like. It may, you know, to Ben's point about Salesforce, like it may not do everything that the incumbent solution does, but it does something else just in a dramatically better fashion that, that, you know, so you wear that technical hat and product hat and you build that, but then eventually every founder sort of realizes like, just because you build it does not mean that the customers will come. And so, you know, I, I found that out in, in multiple painful ways because every time you sort of solve that problem, then you want to up-level your company, then you have to sort of resolve that problem. And, and so figuring out and spending time with customers and really putting on that sort of sales CEO hat, I think is one of the best ways to actually become a great CEO because it means that you're listening to your customers. It means you're understanding exactly what the market is telling you. Um, you know, people always ask questions of like, how should I price my product? Like, what, how should I package it up? A lot of those questions actually get answered just by being in the market. And you, can, as a CEO of, a, I think, of an infrastructure company, you can't outsource that. Like, you can get help from your product team, from your product marketing team, but you actually can't outsource it. You have to be out there with your customers, especially if you if you're sort of aspirational and who you want your customers to be. Um, you know, you, you can spend time with your current customers. That's great. But if you want bigger customers or you want a different segment of the customer base or a different vertical to go after, you have to get out there. So I was spending, you know, this, this is like the period of my life where, and I think, I think, you know, Ben and, and Martine and lots of people that are listening can relate to this. Like, you know, you end up getting, you know, United Global Services and you realize that that's actually the status you never want to get because it means you're spending too much time on the road. Seven years, um, seven years of global yeah. services, man. Right, like it feels really good when you first get it. And then, and like then you're like- Stage four cancer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's very bad for your health, it turns out. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah, the, the ultimate Pyrrhic victory. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and so, but, so I really enjoyed the, the experience of getting out in front of customers and recognizing that the software and the services we had built and the infrastructure we had built to deliver that service was powering some of the biggest companies out there, some of the companies I respected the most. And, and, and so that, you know, and then actually one of the most interesting things about that journey is you actually find out your whole company really loves that experience too. Like engineers that are working on really hard engineering problems love finding out that, you know, you, you went from having your biggest deal be like a $100,000, you know, annual deal to closing a customer that's paying you now a million dollars a year. And like the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, the code that you write and the, the services you've stood up are now um, getting paid for in that way because people are finding that value. Like, I, I found that really, really satisfying and exhilarating. But, you, but the only way to go through that journey is, I think, to be as close to the customers as possible. Um, you know, ben, ben brought up like 500 really important threads. You talking, you know, he mentioned channels, he mentioned pricing. Like, all of these things are, are things that you just have to spend a lot of time on. And the, the, the worst part about all of them is that once you actually get one working and get it right, it's only going to work for a while and you sort of create more slack somewhere else in the system where you dedicate your attention. But then once you then go like tighten up the slack somewhere else, you have to come back to pricing or you have to come back to packaging or you have to come back to your, your channels and distribution strategy. And that, that for, for, for the, you know, the right kind of founders, I think is really an exciting uh, uh, part of the company building process. Awesome. Okay, listen, I'm gonna, I, so, I, so I think we should get a little bit into like the nuts and bolts now. Um, <laughs> there's one topic right. I, I kind of want to goad you into, 
uh, David. Um, I, I actually, so listen, you know, we, we've had an amazing few years in infrastructure, like many of the top uh, enterprise companies are like core infra companies. I mean, it's data, it's, you know, whatever, whatever, but like going forward, there's also a lot of opportunity, both in frontier tech, right? You know, like whether it's satellites, but we're also just seeing like the traditional players being um, blown up. And I know one that you've been focused on is, listen, like there's a lot that's going on with kind of regulation and compliance. And, you know, we see companies taking political stands and, you know, you and I had this night, I, I helped run a CDN, you know, many years ago and like, uh, you know, you ran a DNS server and this has always been an issue. Um, but often when you try and kind of de-platform, you see infrastructure is like, you know, what reshapes um, to provide hosting. And so love your thoughts oh, yeah. on the current, the, the current environment and what that might mean to infrastructure and those in this audience that are thinking about building infrastructure companies. Oh yeah. Well, we'll, we'll call this a leading <laughs> question, but I know, I know, I know, you know, my views on this, so I'll, yeah. I'll share them widely, which is that, you know, look, I, I think companies have a right to operate. They want the way they want to operate. But when I looked at what was happening, you know, sort of around the election when AWS kicked Parler off their services, like, I, you know, and I say this without actually any opinion about Parler or, and, and you know, I guess I'll only with AWS doing what they want. Um, what it really is to me signaled was like, this is a great infrastructure opportunity because for a long time, I think people sort of felt like the lower layers of the stack were fully baked. There's no room for innovation. Azure, GCP, and AWS have cornered the market on standing up sort of hosting and, and infrastructure and services at, the, at those low layers. But, you know, if you're running a service like Parler and you can just get thrown off by one of those services, you know, you just get thrown off by the other two as well. Well, then all of a sudden, there's going to be people that are now like fully invigorated and have been now catalyzed into action to go reimagine how do you build truly sort of like bulletproof, globally distributed, decentralized hosting and infrastructure solutions. And we know that in the crypto world, um, we're seeing this across a number of, uh, of the crypto initiatives to create file hosting, file distribution, um, content distribution, and all these things now are going to, I think, start to get uh, a ton of R&D effort. Because you know, one of the great things about the internet has been that it's been decentralized. And you know, as these cloud platforms have emerged and, and offered a lot of flexibility, they've also now centralized a lot of that control that the internet used to sort of decentralize. And so I, you know, I, I get sort of excited about the idea that, you know, maybe Parler, which you know, in good riddance or, or not good riddance, but it may end up being the greatest catalyst <laughs> to reimagining infrastructure. Uh, that we thought was done, fully baked, and had no room left for innovation. And I'm sure someone's going to start to tie together new pieces and new ways. And anyway, I'm excited for that. Yeah, and, and really interesting on that, you know, parlor. there's a lot of things that would be very hard to run on a decentralized service right now, like Netflix kind of comes to mind as something you oh, right, ought to right, not right. try. Uh, but Parler could definitely work. Um, so that is a like a really interesting idea. Like Parler is something that you could probably decentralize right now. Oh, yeah, I, for sure. I just love the info. When this whole thing went down, it was just kind of funny to, you know, to see the different personas. And yours is definitely like the, I think, the infrastructure founder view, which is, you know, this goes down. And some people are like, you know, this is good. Parlor is a bad thing. Others are like, oh, this is cancel culture. You know, this is terrible. This shouldn't happen. It's censorship. Um, but my reaction was kind of yours, which is like, this is totally a failure in infrastructure. That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. I mean, my, yeah, and we know it can be done. Like, you know, the pirate <laughs> has been online. 
the Pirate Bay has been online for like two decades now, right? Like, and this is a site that has been legally shut down so many times. It's like still online. <laughs> totally. And I, we, yeah. we know it can be done, but it can be done better in a more scalable way and in a more general purpose way. Right. So my sensibilities were totally offended just because I'm like, how is it possible that you can actually shut something like this down? I mean, like, you know, whether it's politically the right or the wrong thing to do, I was less concerned with. It's just, you know. When we ran a CDN back in the early 2000s, I mean, there were these sites that like, you know, Interpol would show up, you know, every couple of months asking to take it down and whatever, and they would just pop up somewhere else um, going for. It. And so in this day and age, especially with crypto, the fact that you actually could cancel something means that like, it's time to rethink the stack. Not, 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 by the way, because of any political agenda, positive or negative, it's just like infrastructure is meant to be ubiquitous and everywhere. And this is just, I think, a, either a failure of imagination on the on the case of partner, or maybe we've gotten to a place where infrastructure isn't what it used to be. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There's there's still room for innovation, clearly. Yeah. All right, let's talk open source. I actually, so I have a bit of a, I think. Um, a contrarian position on open source. I, ben, it'd be great if you could backstop me on, on this one. Because... <laughs> <laughs> or, or contradict me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or contradict me. So here's the thing. So, you know, for those that are listening, what is open source? So open source has been around for quite a while. Um, you know, it's the idea that, you know, if you're writing code, the code should be, you know, visible for um, for for everybody so they can look whether it's, you know, to 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 modify it, to build a community around it, to to make sure that, you know, it's correct, to 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 address bugs, et cetera. I mean, this is a massive, massive movement. And, you know, there's just been a lot of kind of focus on open source as the way to build these businesses. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't help but think that actually open source is, is actually becoming a little bit irrelevant and, and not for the reasons, you know, people say, meaning it's fine to build an open source company and it's fine to have open source, but in the era of SaaS, whether it's infrastructure SaaS or in the era in the era of like you're actually running a SaaS service, it's not super clear the role that open source plays. Certainly, not as clear as it did say ten years ago. So like if I'm shipping you software, if that's if that's my business model, I'm shipping you software. Open source is something that people can get and like download and run, and it, it, it's a great kind of go to market channel. You get you know the 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 actual users of the open source become your customers. But if I'm building a SaaS service, even if I open source the actual functionality of it, like there's so much of the operations, which is actually really hard about this stuff that isn't open source, right? Like if you think about AWS isn't open source, there's nothing open source about it. GitHub isn't open source. Snowflake isn't open source. But these are these kind of developer-focused companies that are all very huge, you know, that, you know. And so, you know, we had this question on Twitter, and I think it's a great question, like where does open source fit um you know it, it, you know going forward i actually think listen it's it's still like what it used to be um however like you know i do think it's um it's diminishing in relevance because the consumption model is becoming a service and, and listen david i know you've got an opinion on this would love to hear that and ben would love to hear yours as well i'll, I'll just say mine really quickly because i i my view that the people are conflating multiple things here which is I always view SaaS as basically a way of outsourcing IT. And so when you sign up for a SaaS service, you're, you're effectively saying, I don't want to pay somebody inside my IT organization to run something on-prem, manage it, you know, install patches and updates. And so it, it's a little bit orthogonal. And I agree with you that people are paying for SaaS, whether it's open source underneath the hood or not. They're not paying for it, whether it's open source or not. But they're paying for it basically to not have to pay 
to manage something themselves. And in fact, they'll often pay a premium for that. I think the open source angle is often a go-to-market angle. It's a marketing way to get to build awareness, um, to give people confidence in your product. But, but I don't think that that open source component is, is important at all. So I'm agreeing with you, but it's really because of the framing to me is about outsourcing IT. Not not about whether they're paying for software or not paying for software. Right, right. It's, it's just, I just feel like there's so much industry focus on open source. And this, I, I have a long personal history with open source. You know, I mean, I've, I've funded it. I've worked on it. I think it's fantastic. It's transformed the industry. It will continue. But if you look at a new company in the infrastructure space, it's most likely they're going to monetize with a SaaS service, right? I mean... You know, that's right. Not not all the case. And if that's the case, it's just not super clear how relevant open source is. Like you can have it and it's great. And yeah, it's great from maybe a marketing standpoint or from a community standpoint. Um, but it's not clear to me that going forward, like this is the thing to rotate on. Ben, did you have a comment? I muted him. Standing next to a lot more. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, no, it's uh it is, um, it's funny when you think about the history of it, right? Because the thing that made open source destroy closed source um, were these big internet services. Because if you were running Facebook or Google, there's no way you can take a closed source piece of infrastructure and build Facebook on it. Like, because if there is a bug, it's way, 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 way not okay to be dependent on some software company to patch it and ship it to you. Like that's just too long a loop. And so that moved everything to open. The thing that made everything open source was running these big services. But when the open source became services themselves, then the kind of value of the open source went away. And I agree with David, it kind of became a marketing tool. It actually is weirdly analogous to the industry where but when it went to streaming, then, you know, the song is almost more of a marketing thing for building the brand of the artist than, than a way to make money. And, you know, in a way, open source is more just a branding thing for the, the, the uh, company um, and not how they make money. They make money on the service. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it, 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 just for everybody listening, we love open source. We're huge fans of it. I'm on the board of maybe seven open source companies, and they're all great. It's just we used to hand ring as founders and investors so much about, oh, can you do open source and still monetize it? And we just don't worry about that anymore. Like, if you have an open source company, great. Don't worry about monetizing it because we know you're going to most likely monetize as a you know, a SaaS offering. And that just doesn't count, isn't cannibalized because nobody wants to operate their own infrastructure. So I, I actually want to take this moment to dovetail a little bit into another question on, on Twitter, um, which is another thing that we actually obsess about um, a lot, which is the margin question. So yeah, I, I feel a lot, so many of the questions, so many of like the, um, um, the way to think about software companies and the unit economics came from the days of like shippable software, right? You're like, oh, you know, 80% margins because like, you know, you ship it and people run it. Um, but more and more, in particular for infrastructure, like we've mentioned, like the companies are monetized as, as services, like think AWS, you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever platform, any scale, um, uh, Databricks. And the thing about, you know, a service, especially an infra, is, you know, the, mar the margin structure actually can start to matter. Um, we, we've been doing this internal study. Hopefully, it'll turn into a blog post soon. But it's interesting. If you, if you take, a, um, uh, you know, an average, 
SaaS company that's you know built on top of the cloud, the amount of contribution that that cloud has to margin to the actual cogs is significant, right? It can be like like double points of of margin, and as long as the company is growing, that doesn't really matter, especially in in this macroeconomic time where debt's basically free. You know, like these companies that get these great valuations because they're growing very well. But while they're doing that, whether they're taking on VC funding or 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 whatever, you know, they're writing all of this unoptimized code that's running on these clouds. Um, and, you know, then let's assume that like at some point in time, the growth slows down, um, you know, then margin really starts to matter. And if you've got multiple points of margin, like the impact to the market cap of the company is significant. So let's say you've got a $20 billion company that's doing this. I mean, you know, the difference in 10 points of margin could be, you know, billions of dollars in market cap. And when and then so you hit in these very interesting situations where it totally made sense to use the public cloud early on, hundred uh, percent, because you were you were growing very quickly. Um, then let's say you know you saturate your market and you go public or whatever. Then you slow down. Then all of a sudden, like it's hard to pay that margin tax. And then and then you have like actually pretty good arguments for repatriating, like like Dropbox did. You basically say, listen, it will never make sense from a cash flow perspective to build a data center, but like this is probably ten billion of dollars of market cap that we can save. So, um, oh sorry, I'm just. Uh, David wants to do a question. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So maybe, maybe yeah, yeah. So let, let me let me explain a little better what I mean by this. Which is, if if you're offering a SaaS service, and let's say you're running it on AWS or you're running on the cloud, and let's assume that you're doing some level of compute while you're doing it, like you're paying AWS, so you actually have a like a cogs cost, like a cost of goods. So to bring on a new customer, it, it's expensive on your AWS bill, for example. That hits your balance sheet as margins. And when you're a growth company, when you're invested like, you know, by David or Ben or myself, when you're invest, when you're being invested on by a VC, you don't really worry about that as much because you're growing very fast and you're mostly valued on growth. But as soon as growth slows, um, it really matters. And there's, there's probably, you know, tens of billions of dollars right now trapped in kind of cloud margins, right? It's something that we're very focused on. And so I don't think that we fully rationalized how much margins um, uh, uh, are going to play a role going forward. But you have to believe with all these SaaS companies IPOing that there's going to be a reckoning. And Ben, I know, you know you've, you've been watching kind of the data space as well. There's been a lot of discussions around margin. I'm wondering if you think like, is there a big reckoning coming where this has to be reconciled? Can we just grow forever? Is this like a non-issue? Well, I think that, you know, the, it's funny, the data space is a little bit special with regards to your ability to get out of the monster clouds because, because of the data gravity problem in that, like, let's say you're an analytics company, you have to be proximate to the data because the thing that's more expensive than the regular, you know, storage and compute is bandwidth um, and specifically bandwidth out of the cloud. Um, so if you are an analytics tool and you have your own data center, and you're talking to, say, Databricks or Snowflake or Redshift in another cloud, um, that's going to be a very expensive proposition for your customers uh, to move that data across, whereas moving data within a cloud, of course, is nothing. So I think that's a special case. But I do think that, you know, on the other hand, for things that don't necessarily interact with a lot of other kind of components in the cloud, um, yeah, like it's real. It, it is a gigantic amount of money at scale. So I, I do think it's going to 
be a thing for here's certain the, companies. Well, here's this thing. I'm just, just from an industry standpoint. Here's what I'm curious on. We're in this very special macroeconomic time where debt is very cheap, right? And so, you know, the public markets are valuing, you know, companies based on growth. Um, and then, of course, on the private markets, we value companies a lot on growth because it's so hard to even calculate margin. Like, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's just so early, you know, and they're just immature. And so let's assume that there's this whole cohort of companies in the last five years that are funded by VCs. They get to scale, they go public, they all have great growth, and then they start to slow down. And then you find that there's, you know, 10 points of margin plus captured, you know, by the cloud. This could be hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, you know, I just wonder if there's a there's going to be a reckoning here. And does that mean that we're going to see a layer that optimizes that or are we going to see repatriation or I mean, it's, it's a very open question in my mind. Well, what is the thing that causes debt not to be cheap? Is also, I mean, that's a macroeconomic question. No, but as long go, as, go for as, long it. as <laughs> countries are printing money like crazy, like it, it would basically destroy the country to to raise interest rates now. I mean, it uh, would be very, very dangerous given how much money we owe. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel so much. It, it's an odd thing to say, but I feel so much of the current state of infrastructure is being dictated by exactly this. Which is, <laughs> it's yeah. a weird thing. Side to say, effects. Like, it's side effect. Like, like basically, like we're printing money, and a lot of it's going to AWS because we don't care about margins. I mean, that's, that's basically yeah. the the collection of it because we're just focused on growth. Um, uh, you know, but if the growth slows and or infrastructure interest rates go up, I do feel we're going to have like like a significant portion of like the economy is going to be trapped in this layer. And I think it's very interesting to see whether, you know, we can dig our way out of it. Are we going to see optimization companies? Are we going to see repatriation? Is it going to blow up infrastructure yet again? I mean, I don't really know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that, I, I, very interesting. Very interesting question. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know the answer either, Martin. What I was going to say though, is we have, one thing I think people underestimate is that there is a level of competition in the infrastructure space and people forget that pretty, right. but it's easy It's easy to actually remember it when you need to. So I think most of us who are on boards have gotten an email at one point or another from, from a company we've invested in that says, hey, great news. We found out about these things called reserved instances and all of a sudden <laughs> we've lowered our Amazon bill by 25%. We're saving millions of dollars a month. And you know, you're like, great, you figured this out now. It's fine, it's good. But the same thing happens when they say, wait a minute, we just got an incentive to move to Azure and we can save 30% on our bill. Because, you know, like to use the Bezos quote of, you know, your margin is my opportunity, that will eventually get used against all the major cloud players. And even the old school providers like the Equinixes of the world are now starting to offer more and more sort of dynamic like services, um, sort of elastic like services. And so... You know, I, I think that the margin issues tend, tends to solve as there's contraction in the market and that people find ways, whether it's with overlay tools that provide optimization. And as the virtualization tools continue to get better and better, you're just going to see more and more people be able to move more nimbly and that'll push pricing down, I think. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the I'm going to take the counterpoint on that, which like which I think is totally reasonable. A reasonable thing to say is it's not an issue right now. And once it becomes an issue, like we can move workloads around or optimize. Here's okay. Listen, y'all are hearing it now. Here's my prediction, which is there's so much money at stake, 
I think fractions of, you know, a trillion dollars, right? <laughs> There's so much money. If, if the macroeconomic environment changes, that we're going to see a thermonuclear detonation on the cloud. It's just going to be like, holy shit, we've got just, you know, so much money and market cap trapped on this layer. And yes, we could do these 20% optimizations, but oh, by the way, if I have a focus, to, if I build my own data center, for example, I can drop it by a factor of 10. And we're going to see just like the cloud kind of decimated PCs. I think there's a chance that we see it moving back. I mean, who knows? But I do think we're talking of numbers of that size, right? Yeah, but I'm okay with people building their own data centers. I mean, we, when you and I were, were having that discussion about, uh, you know, parlor and infrastructure, I think that the more the more infrastructure we have out there and the more it's choices, good. the better. It's yeah. good. Infrastructure stays relevant. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know, there's a, related, there's a related point, Martin, that, that in the discussion of sort of margin, which is that usually the cost that the company is incurring to run their service is not at all related to the way they price their offering. Um, in fact, usually, you, in, in fact, the, the best companies don't connect those things at all because usually the customer has some axis of pricing that might be users or storage, but the actual cost of the service might be based on compute cycles or processes or something else. And so th that's actually, I think, where companies need to be a little bit more in tune with what their actual costs are and what the incremental cost of a customer is. And that they can certainly do independent of, of the macro environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I just think like everybody talks about technical debt and we're like, oh, it's bad and like this and that and the other thing. But like, it's all fun and games until, you know, it's it's a $200 problem. <laughs> you know, it's a $200 billion problem. Yeah, that's right. And, that's right. you know, and somebody looks like literally somebody looks at the like the U.S. economy and is like, oh, my God, the, like some percentage of market cap is being owned by AWS or whatever. And then I think that people get very motivated to make big dramatic changes and <laughs> we'll just see. All right, listen, we are actually unfortunately um, uh, coming up on the end here. I, I do want to say a few things. The first one, like, listen, there were so many great questions on Twitter. We did not get to all of them. I apologize. We're going to start doing kind of more focused um, infra every two weeks um, just because, listen, honestly, my favorite thing in life is to drink coffee and talk infrastructure. Um, so next week, uh, or in two weeks on April 1st, I think we have Steve Sanofsky and we'll have somebody else join. Um, we're going to be talking about um, uh, data uh, and building um, large infra companies uh, from a bit of a historic view. So if you can do that, that would be fantastic. Um, uh, oh, also, by the way, in two minutes at five, there's going to be breach week. Um, so both Fricata and Cloudflare um, are going to be discussed. I think it's going to be Joel is going to be doing that discussion. So if you want to hop on that, that would be great. We appreciate everybody joining this one. Um, for those that aren't following us on Twitter, please do, because you can just go ahead and post questions to us and we'll be uh, sure to cover them. Um, and we hope that you come back and continue to... Uh, discuss uh, info with us and going forward, we'll do a better job about, you know, getting to raise hands, having people come up and, and talk and so forth. So anything else, David and Ben, you want to cover before we hop off? Well, this was great. And if, if there were any technical issues, they definitely were not DNS issues. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, everybody. Cool. No DNS right. issues. The original decentralized service. That's, That's right. right. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to the audience. We'll be here in a couple of weeks. Ciao.